Lord, once again, as we come together and particularly look at certain things as they apply uh, to the church and specifically the local church, we pray that you'll be with us and just bless all that we consider this evening as we uh, fly through some material and really prepare um, for some of the things that we'll look at in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. So this evening, uh, we're looking at the idea of church membership. Now, I just want to put this out there. For those who have been in Providence for some time, we've gone through these. And so I'm actually going to simply um, summarize this evening with the strong confidence all of you are capable readers. And, and you got something in your hands that you, that you can read through. Then we're going to be moving on at some point to looking, looking at very specific uh, things that the New Testament says about uh, church practices, church organization, and, and church uh, uh, things, of which many people take different views. And I, and I want us to, to know why we've clearly taken the positions we have. So before we even look at those specific issues, we're going to set aside the next potentially four to eight weeks. I do not know how long it will take. And we're going to take up hermeneutics. We're going to look at how to start by reading and come out the other side with a confident understanding of what the Scripture teaches. So how to study the scripture. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that here on Tuesdays with, as well as I will, in addition to what we do here, give you some wonderful stuff for your own reading and perusal at home uh, uh, to build those things up. But this evening, uh, I'm going to take this idea of church membership, and I want us to, to, to look at this because it's an oft-misunderstood subject. I'm going to start just by reading a couple verses, though. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, God's word says this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, verse 18 of chapter 12. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. The scriptures are pretty constant with that theme that God is God, and he gets to do what he wants, how he wants. And that can go back to creation, the creation order. That can go to even the specificity of the different body parts and their function and design. All these things were decided by God that you don't hear with your mouth was not decided by your mother and father. You know, or you. God is the design that the mouth does not hear, but speaks. And if the mouth speaks too much, the ears don't seem to hear. So we've got to be cautious. <laughs> but, but further, uh, in verse 19, as uh, if we were, 1 Corinthians 12, 19, if we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body, now down to verse 25, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ 
and individually members of it. So what we're seeing is the scriptures are very clear to, to not only give that, that illustration of the body and how a body functions with its different parts, but it connects that to the functioning of the local church. That each, each part is to care for one another. Each part rejoices in, in the, the uh, achievements or progress of one another. E each part uh, feels and struggles and suffers and grieves with one another. That there is an uh, unbreakable bond between God's people. And I want us to, to, to get a sense of that. And, and we want to see. So go to the, the top of page one for our notes just want to remind you of this, what a local church is not, based on things we've already looked at. It's not a loose affiliation of people who hold roughly the same religious belief, no matter what those beliefs might be. When someone joins a church, they're not joining a Christian club. Right? It's not a building. A building simply the place where the church meets. Um, I'm not going to a clubhouse when I go to church. It's not a religious organization or denomination like the Anglican Church, Catholic Church, or Presbyterian Church. They attach the word church to their organizational name, but that's just not a biblical use of the idea. All right. It's not also a nonprofit organization with a clear uh, um, vision statement and lucid objectives. It's, uh, uh, I'm not joining some social group, altruistic society, philanthropic group, when I join a church, all right? Again, we, we tend to bring those patterns into the church. What's the church mission statement? Well, what's the church committed to? Well, that's what we did last week was to unpack what the scripture says the church's mission statement and pattern, it, it, to reduce it to a single thing really misses it and and dear men will oft reduce it to a single thing and and the single thing they they reduce it to can be a good thing but is it everything you know the mission of the church is the gospel to the world well that is a good thing for the church to be committed to but is it is it not also committed um to a personal pursuit of holiness? Is it not also uh, committed to uh, provoking one another to love and good works? See, by, by, by stating one of the things the scripture calls us to do as the thing, we, we miss because, I mean, if we were going to state one thing, it goes back to that, that one thing that kind of supersedes all of the purpose of all of creation. We exist for the glory of God. To Him be glory in the church. And He is glorified when we are active in, in the gospel and getting that out. He's glorified when we're active in loving one another and involved in each other's lives. He's glorified when... Uh, you know, we sing his praises when we um, uh, turn aside from those uh, wicked temptations of this world and live in a way that, that rightly represents his righteousness and his justice in this depraved world, right? And so if we state, but we're committed to the glory of God ends up being 
pretty broad and having a lot of ways to live that out. Uh, let's review some basics of then that's what the church was not, what the, what the church is. It is, the local church particularly, is an assembly of people who profess. Remember, I'm giving you here the local church. We already looked at others. The, there were two, at least two clear senses of the church. There's the true church of Jesus Christ. And that's not just professing. That is all of those who have truly been born again and united to Christ by faith. Okay? They, those who are, are connected with Christ, they are a part of the true church. But the scripture speaks not only of the church singular, where Jesus laid his life down for the church singular. It also speaks of the churches throughout Galatia and the churches in different regions. And local churches are an assembly of professing believers that in the process of time we may come to recognize someone might be a member in a local church and prove not to be a member of the true church. You know, and Oftentimes, in the process of time, that person might, through his sinful lifestyle, be confronted, be called to turn from those things, indicate their rebellion and unwillingness, and then be separated from the church. But it is possible for some not to carry on some of those sins that we know so well in terms of... Um, adultery and immorality and theft and such, uh, and have a profession, have a, a, a general social decency so that they lifelong remain attached in some way to a local church, but may not actually be united to Christ. I mean, it can happen because of cultural circumstances. People will, they grew up in the church, they're always in the church, they're, they're not actively know, known to others participating in sins that would cause them to be removed from the local church. And we cannot see another person's heart. That only God does. But it's important to, I will state this in advance, being a member of the local church does not guarantee you salvation. You must be born again. You must, by the grace of God, through the work of the Spirit, come to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and by His grace, turning from those things to walk in newness of life. You identify yourself with the Lord in baptism, in which you are buried with Him in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life, and then participate in the Lord's Supper. So uh, these, these are the things that we want to strive to be committed to. It's those who profess and give evidence that we would hope to uh, bring into. One of the challenges that will arise is particularly, and I urge this on uh, uh, those who have families with youngins. Uh, if we teach them rightly, very, very early on, they will profess, well, I, I believe what you're teaching me. I mean, there's, there's no reason for them to believe otherwise. You know, they learn it in church, they learn it in Sunday school, they hear it from, that's, that's their only worldview in those, in those young days. 
but all of us have probably known people in our own lives uh, or in other families that there were professions of faith made at certain points early in life. There were even baptisms that took place early in life, and then all of a sudden, they gone. And you wonder, well, what happened? Which is why we say profession and evidence. Evidence is not a, a, a life of perfection, but evidence of the grace of God in the Spirit. I mean... For example, one of the things parents are going to want to do with their children is, is certainly this, these are the truths. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus uh, bore our sin on, his, on the cross. He died. He rose again you know, and, and walked through. And that your children affirm those things. But when the Spirit of God works, your children not merely mentally affirm the things that you've instructed, but when the Spirit is active, the Spirit convicts convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so you begin, you, that point in which when, when someone does wrong, that, that it, they're no longer making excuses and saying, well, it, well, it's not my fault. It's because of what they did to me. They said it first. It, it, the, the excuses sort of stop, and it's, I was wrong. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that anymore. I really want to change, and I need God to help me change. When that kind of spirit begins to, to, to show, then it's like, okay, praise God. It's a, um, it's a local uh, community uh, of people who are committed to Christ and committed to one another. Um, an important test, for example, as we go down is... is um, do you or anyone you know uh, treat the local church membership uh, commitment and responsibility as optional? Is it important or not important to be a part of a member of a local church? Some consider it optional. I'm going to present to you this evening and throughout these notes why I don't think the scriptures present church membership as optional. You are to commit yourself to a body, uh, to engage one another. You are, to, you are to commit yourself or declare yourself in a sense, I am a part of this flock of which each flock God has assigned that there would be overseers. So those who are pastor elders now know I have a watch care responsibility before God over the souls of these people. And if there's, no, if there's not that identifying membership, then uh, it's quite difficult from a practical point of view and even m m really problematic from a legal point of view in the world in which we live today. <laughs> because if you, if you do the process of church discipline, if, you, if, you're, if it comes to that and a person is in sin and, and unrepented and you come to the place that says in Matthew 18 where you tell it to the church if they have not committed themselves as members to submit to the pattern of the church which includes church discipline churches have been sued for libel and slander because they're telling people of the wrongdoing of this individual well membership they lose the grounds to be able to make that kind of a legal claim it, it, it also puts yourself in this position. It says this, I want to be held accountable. It, and that is not something that is natural to the world. 
world says, look, my, uh, and, and people who are just culturally Christian are kind of like, hey, my, my faith, it's best between me and God. You know, uh, uh, you know, he knows my heart. Yeah, he does. That's a frightening thing. He knows your heart. He, he, he knows your secret thoughts. When nobody else hears the things that you say to some, he does. The spirit behind it, he knows. We're in trouble. In, in some, but we want to be a people who say, hold me accountable. If you don't see me for a time, find out what's going on. Because part of the reality is this, and one of the reasons why the scripture um, uses terms like flock and sheep, and maybe we don't like it, but it does. Sheep are not generally considered, this is not to be a slam on us, all right, but they are not necessarily considered to be a highly intellectual animals. You know, again, maybe most animals we wouldn't consider highly intellectual. But with sheep, there, there is a tendency. If the shepherd is not attentive, the sheep will wander off. What's interesting about that is oftentimes the sheep does not wander off because it has malicious intent. You know, it, it's not looking at the corner of the eye at the shepherd, waiting for the shepherd to look the other way and then sprinting behind a bush. That's generally not how it happens. He's grazing and, and he's moving this direction. Others, others, others are going on and pretty soon he's left behind. Pretty soon he's straight off. And we've got to understand this about ourselves. We are not anywhere close to perfection. We are on a journey, and I want us to remember this. We are not designed to be on this journey alone. We're to be on this journey together, to provoke one another, to encourage one another, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. We have a role in the lives of one another, and it's rich, and it's meaningful. And so um, we want uh, to be held accountable as Christians, uh, again, you can, you can read the rest of page one on your own if you would. But I say in the next to last paragraph, a, a believer without church membership is, is like the idea of fire without flames or fish without water, bird without wings. It just doesn't make sense. Somebody says, I'm a believer, but I'm not, I, they're not attached to the body. As I've said before, how functional is a finger when it is sitting in a bedroom by itself you know how useful i mean is a hand or an arm that's that's separated and severed it it just doesn't get things done the the accomplishing of things and the design that god has so worked is that it is in our coordination and cooperation together with christ that this is done now page two with me on page two, I want to show you why the scriptures teach church membership. Because you're probably going to somewhere someday meet someone who will say, well, the uh, Bible doesn't talk about church membership. Because they don't see the word church and member side by side. Uh, 
But it does talk about church membership. I'm going to give you examples of that right here. First of all, the scripture gives names and numbers. And in Acts 1.15, I've gone with the King James Version because in this instance, it is more literal. The other translations say it differently because we don't speak like this. Well, it says this, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and then it says, the number of names together was about 120. Right? The phrase there, number of names, what does that indicate to you? It's a role. It's not a random association of people. In this context, about 120, which they often did in those days. They would round up to the nearest one. But it's a, it's a known number and known names. It's not unknown. It's clear. It continues in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again, in that context, added to what? Well, there's a sense in which they're added to the Lord, but there's a sense in which also they're added to the 120 that are already there that make up the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, and all who believed, it says, were together. Now, here's a simple question for you. Uh, how do you know that they're all together if you don't know who they are? Uh, to be able to say they're all together means you have a solid assessment of who they are and how many there are. Same thing in verse, chapter 2, verse 47, praising God. And having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number daily. So here it's clearly not simply being added to the Lord, but it is added to that local body. Daily, those who were being saved. It is interesting to note this, especially in that particular day and age. What would happen is in the day of someone's salvation as we've seen uh, going through the book of Acts, in the day that the gospel's preached and the day that the Spirit of God convicts them and brings them to faith and repentance was, in the New Testament, the very day of their baptism. And in that whole process, they were added to the church. And so were there any church members who were not baptized? No, because baptism took place for them. It was, baptism was to them what often our things today is somebody walking an aisle and repeat after me and uh, lift your hand, nod your head, whatever. Uh, we, we keep uh, reducing the, the required responses to make it easier for people. Uh, but the scriptures oft would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would be baptized confessing their sin and professing their faith in Christ and making it a pledge and appeal to God for a good conscience through Jesus Christ. What a day. 
And so that the, the church was being added to their number. So to add to their number means what? There is a number to start with, and now you add to that number, and you got a new number. Acts chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. Now, in order to do that, it should be simple. In order to summon the full number, what do you got to know? You see, it's pretty simple, isn't it? And, and, and verse 3 also, it says, and therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. So the full number is there. They know the number. And they are to make a selection of, of deacons from among you. There is a notable, clear, distinguishable, discernible group of people. And only from among them, among you, can you make that choice. Now, we're going to see that, that among you is going to be built up a little bit more at the bottom of the page. But look with me, if you would, now at uh, distinctions and descriptions. All right. Acts eleven twenty six, And when uh, he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. That's uh, Barnabas going and finding uh, Saul, who we oft call Paul. Uh, and for a whole year, they met with the church. And taught a great many people. So you know who they did not meet with at that point? They're not meeting with the disciples. They're not meeting with the believers. They're, me they're meeting with the church. Which is disi our disciples, is believers, yes. But it is a distinguishable, recognizable assembly, an ecclesia. In the, uh, using that terminology in the Old Testament, they would have distinctive uh, ecclesias. Using it in the New Testament, they would have distinctive ones. For example, in a given city, in, in, in the Roman society, they would have fixed days of assembly where the citizens of that town could come and bring their, their cases, cases, concerns, and issues before the local magistrate for them to be uh, worked out, judged, and decided upon. But that was a privilege for the citizens of that place. If you weren't a citizen of that place, then you weren't part of the regular assembly because that was for the people resident in that place. In the Old Testament, you would have, at times, you would have assemblies, uh, uh, gatherings, which were exclusively the elders from among the tribes of Israel. At other times, you would have an assembly that's all of Israel, but not any of the other nations. So it, it, it's, it's a notable distinguishable, definable, demonstrable group. Acts chapter 14, when they had appointed again elders for them in every church, verse 27, and when they arrived, they gathered the church together. You're able to successfully gather the church because you have a clear list of who is 
the church. The idea of a list is also uh, shouldn't be far off from our minds because though our list is imperfect and people will be added and people will be removed, the, the concept of list related to the church is also very clearly there with regard to the true church. That list is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Maybe you've heard of it. It was written before the foundation of the world. So no name will ever be added to it, and no name will ever be removed from it. One of the beautiful things in, in the uh, letters to the churches, uh, uh, there is a promise to those who are faithful in a church that might get extinguished. There is a promise to those who remain faithful among them. Hey, hey, your name will not be blotted out of, of, the, of the Lamb's book of life. So just, just because your local church might get crushed and overrun and things might get bad, the, the destruction of that church because it's full of false professors is not going to cancel you who are truly in the faith and your union with Christ. So that's an encouraging thing. So um, let me keep going as quickly as we can. Uh, says this to the elders of the church at Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. If that is their responsibility, then what do they have to know? The flock. A good shepherd is going to know the flock. And, and the, the great shepherd, spoken of as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, what is one of the blessed distinguishing traits of that good shepherd? Does he know his sheep? Do they know him? Does he call them by name? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fixed, listed, known group. Uh, the same thing, fierce wolves will come in among you. What is the, who's the you? The church, the flock, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Now, that, that's a hard verse to read and a heartbreaking verse to read. But that's what the scripture says. And so you find out sometimes that you, you, someone has become a member of the church. Someone is maybe even active in the church, even serving in the church. And then they prove to not actually be united to Christ. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what you see when, when you go over to 3 John. I believe it's 3 John. Yes, it is. In 3 John, remember it says this in verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. I mean, this is, these are, this is an apostle. I mean, that's like, that's like someone today saying, yeah, I, I, I know the Bible says that. I know that verse says that. I know that passage says that. But in this church, whoa, 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 what? Not but in this church. There's, there, you, don't, you don't go against what is given by the apostles. Well, this guy does because what does he like to do? 
put himself first. And he's going to come up and he's going to bring that up. But listen, it goes on further down and halfway through verse 10. It says, not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to welcome the brothers, that those are people sent by John, and what? Puts them out of the church. If someone, and this is, this is a, a, a sad thing to note, if someone has in the local context the practical authority to put someone out of the church, you know what that likely means? He's in leadership. So, so in this church, one of the men who's been established as one of their elders is about himself. And it's not about Christ, and it's not about truth, it's not about the glory of God, it's not about the good of Christ's people, it's about himself. His voice, his place, his podium, his way, or none. He won't even yield to the apostles. Um, so that what we find out is, he's not truly a believer. They will arise from among you. So you can, so it's, it's a careful thing. Uh, James 5, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Now, uh, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Here's the reality of it. There is a special care that we exhibit towards one another that um, when someone's sick and someone's in need, we try to come together and supply them with, with some food and some casseroles and some helps to get them over a difficult time. Do we do that for everybody in the state when they get sick? Or everybody in the town when they get sick? Now listen, we might do it for our neighbors as well as an act of love and as an act of kindness. But the scriptures are giving us this uh, description and distinctions, the clear among you. Inclusions and exclusions also. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 1, again we have, um, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. So not in your town, but among you, a definable group of people. On down in verse 2, it says, let him who does this be removed from among you. So he's either included or he's excluded. So it's, it's a definable group with boundaries and parameters. Do you see it? Okay. Further, um, verse 12 even speaks of, um, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church that you are to judge so again the same kind of thing in among you put out inside outside the scripture works constantly on this note of a definable body of believers verse 13 says purge the evil person from among you first corinthians uh, 1 10 says um, i appeal to you brothers by the name of jesus that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be of the same mind and the same judgment. It has been reported to me that Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. So there's this, this constant uh, uh, distinction of among you. Uh, go on to page three. 
and I think I've demonstrated these things that uh, the next few verses demonstrate the same things that we've just done in the few verses that we've looked at, so I'm not going to reiterate those. But if you go down to 1 Timothy 5, 9 and following, you also see this idea, let a widow be enrolled if she is less than 60 years of age. Verse 11, but refuse to enroll an elder, uh, 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 younger widows. And then down at the end of verse 16, let the church not be burdened. So not only is it known uh, who is among the church, but who are those among the church, particularly in this context, the widows who are in need and who are those who are not in need. And so who are those that we're going to uh, uh, give special care for, special love, special benefit? So, so it's a clear uh, group. Further, there's also roles and responsibilities. Each of you has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. That's another key phrase. I, I wish I would have remembered to bolden it. I did in, the, in Hebrews. Uh, the, the continued use in letters to churches of among you and one another distinguish the importance of that local community, that local body. Um, Hebrews, again, uh, speaks also of one another. In Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember your leaders. So they, they know who their under-shepherds were. We often use the term under-shepherds for pastors in this day and age because we know there is but one chief shepherd, which is Christ. And then also verse 17 of Hebrews 13, where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And I explained that, uh, the significance of that last week. But if you're not a member of a local body, then how do you, how do you obey that? How, how do you work that out in your life? How do you live that out, obey and submit to your local leaders, your leaders, if you're not a part of that body? So being a member signifies, hey, I'm a part of this group. I'm, I'm accountable to them. Uh, I want to be taught, led, instructed by them, and so on. Down at the bottom of page three. So what does church membership signify? Uh, one, uh, the church is recognizing that this person professes faith in Christ. That's all we can recognize is a profession and some degree of evidence. Church membership also signifies an individual's commitment to grasp hold of one another in love and discipleship. Now, I will tell you this. What often happens, particularly in our day and age, you try to grasp hold of one another, and they wriggle and shake, and they run away anyways. It happens, you know. And there are good and biblical reasons to leave a church. I mean, there is a certain point at which you do have to sit back, and in light of your best understanding of Scripture... Um, Sometimes you'll find in your own experience, maybe, uh, that a church will have a particular position. And then over time, there's turnover, you know, to use a business term. People change and circumstance change, styles change, uh, doctrines change, positions change. And, and, and as, you, as you evaluate the best that you can the Scripture, and as you're looking at, at, at certain things that are not 
fitting and or faithful to the scripture and you've sought to engage those things, if you can't submit, if you, if you can't in good conscience follow the teaching and leadership of, of those there, then you ought to be somewhere where you can because you are supposed to be shepherded. And, and, and so it, it isn't that, well, I'm just going to cast off the shackles. No, I've got to find some other place where, I, where, where I, can, I can have a level of confidence and a level of trust. Will there always be 100% agreement? I hope not, because I hope we're, we're growing and learning along the way. I mean, if I already know everything and you already know everything, what are we doing? Right? So, so get, get, go on with me to page um, four. It, it also it, it speaks of and involves uh, people in one another's lives. I mean, that's one of the things that we saw even when we were looking in Acts 2.42 and so on. They're committed to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. There's an active involvement. They show hospitality to one another, you know. Uh, and, and at times, we got to overcome ourselves. What I mean by that is, believe it or not, we all have different personalities, Right? We all have uh, different ways of talking, different facial expressions, uh, different forms of humor. And it may be that somewhere, someday, you find someone else a little off-putting. I mean, it's, it's a farther stretch, but it might even happen that somewhere, someday, somebody finds you a wee bit off-putting. Right? Now... But what, but what happens in that? Well, this is still my brother. This is still my sister in Christ. I, I want their good. I want their growth. You know, I want to encourage them in the faith. And, and, and we overcome those things like family. I mean, I would hope that we would say when we're going to family reunions in terms of our physical family, well, I'm not going because my sister's going to be there. What? Something really weak about that. Or, um, I'm going, but I'm not going to talk to her. What about uh, putting aside self, esteeming others as more important than yourself, loving one another? It, uh, John deals with this very strongly in First John, helping people wrestle with this issue. How can you say that you love God whom you do not see? When you do not love your brother who you could see. Now, I have a, a, an irresponsible answer to that question. God is good. They're not. <laughs> but that does not excuse me nonetheless. The, the tone of that passage isn't, isn't looking for me to excuse myself. Why I can love God that, who I can't see but having trouble with that guy. You know, it's not, what it's saying is, you don't have an excuse, you need to love them anyways. And when we put it in perspective, and we understand this, 
God, because he is rich in mercy, he set his love upon us in Christ Jesus. When we understand the whole flow and tone of the Old Testament as it unfolds and as it speaks of sin, that sin is an abomination before God, sin is a despair of God, uh, that, that ultimately because of our nature, we are by nature children of wrath and rightly detested by God. That he would be right to just distance himself from us entirely because he is holy and we're not. And he, yet he drew near to us in Christ. He sacrificed and gave of himself in love. If he would do that for us, now listen, and I, and I say this with love, whoever that person is, however, in, in our mind, bad they are and wrong they've done towards us, us and God, how bad we were, and how long we were towards God. And this is all my arms are physically capable of doing. If I could do the stretch plastic band, whatever, I would do it to, to make that point. My arms will not go far enough. That divide is unbridgeable, only able to be bridged by the divine son. The one who inhabits eternity himself and fills the heavens and the earth. Our time is running good. Now, uh, you can read on through there. There's an inward love for God and his people. Uh, please read page four, page five, page six. At, at the bottom of page six, I give you some basic responsibilities that Christians ought to be involved in, and the scriptures are simply clear about this. Attend faithfully. I mean, how can you be involved in one another's lives if you're not there? You know, how can the, 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 the uh, shepherds provide watch care over your souls if you're not there? How can they keep you and, and help protect you against uh, succumbing to and being influenced by wrong teaching and doctrine if you're not there and they don't see you and they're not able to interact with you and know those things? How? So you got to be there as much as possible. Uh, uh, give regularly, pray regularly, uh, page 7, participate in the Lord's Supper, and uh, serve one another and submit to the elders. Just basic, basic things. Now, why is meaningless membership a dangerous thing? It's a dangerous thing because of these things. Um, it sends a confusing witness to the surrounding community, you know. It'd be nice if, if our neighbors, generally speaking, they know, you know what? Not, not, not that hopefully they'll think now's a good time to break into their house. But generally, they know Sunday morning, you're not going to be there. You know, that, that, there, that there is a commitment and that, that connected to that commitment is not only a witness to the community in terms of your regularity of attendance, but it's also cooperative with what I, I show here as uh, moral obligations and spiritual obligations. The moral obligations is that, that we live a godly life in Christ Jesus. 
turning away from the sinful practices mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5. And the spiritual obligations are to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now listen in this context. Also it says, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. That term admonishing one another is that idea of warning and encouraging one another. How are we doing that if we're not engaging one another? See, because part of the, a big part of the issue is it's, it's almost a, a, as if um, Diotrephes, his primary motivation for coming to church, it seems, reading 3 John, was for himself. Whereas our, our, our primary motivation ought be for God. I come for God. I come to draw near to Him and He will draw near to us. I come, I come to come into His presence in a unique way and sing His praises and, and be fed by His Word and to be used of God in the lives of my brothers and sisters in simple ways. That word in admonishing are the simple things that, that happen in the hallways and in conversations coming and going. And we want to be intentional about being engaged in those ways. As you've received a gift, so use it to serve one another. Um, uh, a bad witness uh, taints the church's witness in the community. Uh, page 8. Meaningless membership uh, causes divisions. And we are not to be a, a, a people of divisions. Because here's what happens. I mean... Uh, realistically, ideally, we all grow together. And so we're receiving the same lessons on Sundays. We're receiving the same lessons on Tuesdays. We're all growing together. You know? now, and we do our best for those who, whose circumstances don't allow the degree of frequency they would otherwise uh, do. Uh, we're trying these to, to record and provide those things because if we don't grow together, what then happens is this, this part's growing, and this part gets left behind. And then that creates a problem and an imbalance. You know, uh, there, there's a part of my mind that, that, that thinks, uh, I know a young man who grew up playing a ton of tennis, a ton of tennis, and as a result of being right-handed and playing a ton of tennis, one side of his back developed significant more musculature than the other side, and somehow that imbalance caused some problems. <laughs> that back had a, has, a, had a has a tendency uh, to lock up, to seize up, and otherwise things. And, and he's, he's had to try to say, okay, I've got to do some other exercises to try to provide some better balance. Can you imagine someone doing curls with just one arm always? It would begin to look a little bit awkward. Now, we're not talking about physical vanity here, but in terms of as the church presents itself, you know, you, you don't want to be presenting some peculiar disfigured vision to, to those around. We want to be uh, uh, strong and unified and balanced. And so for that, we've got to participate together and bring one another along. Um, helps with the duties uh, it, it also protects against self-deception because as, uh, as people are not there, and here's the beautiful thing about it. Let's say for, for a time, 
someone's not around. It would be beautiful and sometimes, uh, sometimes even better received if, if it's not first necessarily the pastors that go to them. It's like, hey, brother, I haven't seen you for a while. Where are you at? Hey, sister, what's going on? Everything okay? Anything I can help with? Anything I can be praying for? Um, because, remember, in the context, don't, don't check out and say, well, that's the pastor's responsibility. Because we've already noted his primary responsibilities are prayer and the ministry of the word. There is shepherding as well, but everyone has their limitation. Their limitation of strength, their limitation of energy, their limitation potentially of time. You know, and some of us are more limited than others. And God knows our limitations, and we're thankful for his mercy. Um, so you join uh, page nine, and I'm going to just fly through these. You join, first of all, why you join a church? You join for God. You join for the sake of his name. You, jo you join for the sake of his cause. Secondly, you join for other people. For the sake of non-Christians, for the sake of weaker Christians, for the sake of the church leaders. Thirdly, on page 10, you join for the corporate health of, health of the church to expose false gospels to edify the church. Fourthly, you join for your individual health as a Christian. Right? We always, we have to remind that I, I, I don't, I'm thankful for some of the things we get taught as children. Do you remember, uh, do you know how to spell joy? Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. It, it, the, the, the real reality, and this, I think this, our, our experience would be as we look in this world today, you turn that around and you put you first. Yoj isn't a word, first of all, and, but, but you put you first, and what happens? People are miserable. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked even in, the, in these few months. I mean, you, you get people who are um, committing suicide because of things that people have said about, about their, their dance routine on social media or, or, or their face or their body or whatever it may be. And people are just ending themselves because oh, I, I just can't take it. We're all flawed. I mean, the, the people who are the people who are writing that, those things to you, at times it's motivated by jealousy because you'd be better looking than they are. You, you got a better sense of rhythm than they, or whatever it may be. You know, their own insecurities are lashing out, and it's just shocking how people respond. But if, but if we say basically to ourselves, you know what? Neither he who plants or waters is anything, but God provides the growth. We can tell ourselves, look, yeah, you're right, I'm nothing. I ain't got the best anything that you can list, but you know what? God loves me. He has set up his love upon me. He's made me his own possession. Unbelievably, he treasures me. 
Not saying I'm a treasure, but that he is pleased to treasure me even if nobody does. And it's all, I think it's always important, and I, and I get worried because churches have even come sometimes that direction. Look, you know what? Maybe nobody sees anything good in you. Maybe your mom and daddy always told you you'd never amount to nothing, you'd never go nowhere, maybe this, maybe that. But you know what? God sees something good in you. That's not the answer. The answer is, though there was nothing good in me, God in love and mercy made me his own. And now in Christ I am an heir and joint heir with him. And in some sense, I'm going to reign with him someday. Yeah, little Mr. Nothing is going to be reigning with the Lord. That's pretty good. All right. Uh, so then, so lastly, joining for yourself in your own growth. So, in conclusion, on page 11, does the Bible make explicit and explicit and implicit members, mention of membership roles in a local church? And the answer, hopefully, you've come to looking at we did, what we did tonight is yes. Do you know any Christians who view membership as a loose affiliation, only useful on occasion? Is it wrong? Think about that and answer those questions in your own. These are questions really for your own discussion in families and, and things as you go back. Why might it be true that member, church membership is uh, dangerous unless it reflects a living commitment to Christ? Church membership is a church's corporate testimony to an individual's salvation. Read certain verses. How would a biblical understanding of church membership make our witness to non-Christians clearer? Because we, not only indivi individually we want to be a light, but collectively we are a city that is set on a hill. You know? And so, let everybody else turn out their lights. We're leaving the lights on. Let's pray. Lord, thanking you for just the time that we could have in your word. Thanking you that you've not left us to ourselves and that even in the structure that you've set for the local church, you've reminded us uh, uh, of our frailty, our limitations, our weaknesses. But Lord, we're thankful that where we are weak, you are strong. Where we are... Uh, there's the possibility of wandering. You have put in place those who would come around us and who would seek us and who would love us. Lord, we thank you for the family of faith, for the household of God, of which you have made us brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you'll stir up that desire in our life to, to be of godly good in the lives of those who are around us. Lord, I pray that you would... Help us as a local church to function in this way. That it would, we, we would not be um, an audience, that we would not be a, a, a social group, but we would be a family, a body, a testimony to our great God. In Jesus' name.